Hello friends, Molly Ponfidip here, CEO of the SOAR Community Network and co-founder of SOAR Community Nebula. Our goal this year is to interview 1,000 champions of change and community builders. And today I am so delighted to bring you Claudia Kobler. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. I absolutely love what SOAR Community Network is doing. Looking forward to this interview. Thank you. Well, we always like to start off the interview by asking you to share with our audience who you are and the work that you're currently doing in the world today. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So my name is Claudia Kravler. As you can hear from my last name, I am um, of German descent, but I was originally born in Austria and I left the home country of Austria for the first time at the age of 18 to come to the United States and learn English. It was always one of my goals to be somewhat of a cross-cultural communicator and global connector. And I know I had to start with the fact to come to America and try to to speak English like an American, an art which I'm still trying after 17 years to master, but I am slowly getting there. So who am I and what do I do in Washington, D.C.? As I said, but I'm an Austrian-born global citizen, and in my daytime job, I work for an international development organization called the World Bank Group. At the World Bank Group, I focus on private sector engagement in math manufacturing, agribusiness, and services for the focus countries of Nigeria, Ghana, Peru, and Paraguay. And what I do in this work is I'm working in knowledge management, where we really look at what some of our private sector engagements and projects have from the knowledge perspective been fruitful in these developing countries, but also inside the organization. And how can we extract this knowledge, take it out, and bundle it into different knowledge products, such as podcasts, for example such as storytelling initiatives or board reports. And on the operational end, we look at how, on how what the economic effectiveness of most of these programs is. So when I'm not doing this in my daytime job, I have a business called Global Storytelling for Global Development, for which I am the CEO and executive director. And I would like to call myself Global Storyteller cheap global storyteller, so to speak, where I um, focus on really using storytelling as an effective tool to educate millennials around international development and the eradication of extreme poverty. How did I start with global storytelling? Global storytelling started about two years ago after I gave a TEDx talk back home in my host home country of Austria. And in this talk, I spoke about the work that I was doing back then for the United Nations. And the work I was doing for the United Nations had a very youth-led focus as well. And it was also really around um, engaging youth in the United States and in developing countries in understanding what some of our sustainable development goals are. So I gave the talk. And as of many of you know, like usually these talks, um, you have media interviews, so you give afterwards. So the question that came up in the media interviews over and over and over again is like, millennials are very disengaged when it comes to international development. They don't know what the eradication of extreme poverty looks like. They don't know what the sustainable development goals are. How can you create social impact in your communities and globally? How can you create women empowerment? How can you create not only opportunities for people in your communities, but also opportunities for yourself to live a more sustainably driven life as well. And then I realized because I work in this space for the last nine and a half years, I thought to myself, goodness, I'm a kind of later stage millennials in my mid thirties. I've been working in this space all the, all my life so far, all my adult life so far. And I have this vast knowledge. And I think the knowledge I have should not only be 
um, taken into account or should not only be disseminated in the institution I work for on a daily basis, but also outside. So this is how Global Storytelling for Global Development came about, a knowledge sharing and dissemination platform where close to 5,000 participants on our Facebook group and YouTube channel share their international development um, challenges, but also opportunities. So um, what I do is just in very quick videos like you're doing right now, right? five to 10 minutes talk about my own ex my own experience working in international development and tackling issue. So okay, we tackle um, the eradication of extreme poverty and capacity development. How can we create capacities in local communities in developing countries, but also in the United States here. But I also interview people I've worked together with in the international development space who are my peers who used to be my mentors and also like young and rising stars in international development as well. When I say young and rising stars is most of the time entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who bring some of the innovative perspectives, so to speak, into these organizations as well. And um, to culminate, some of the knowledge I am sharing on global storytelling, it was imperative for me to create a knowledge product out of it. So the knowledge product I've created was a documentary called Nashukuru, Storytelling in the Faces of Poverty. And Nashukuru in Swahili means I'm grateful. Um, where I spend around five and a half weeks in Kenya in August, 2018, to really understand what extreme poverty in Kenya looks like and to share stories of those who live in poverty, but also those to, who serve to combat poverty in the documentary. So we have April right now, the end of April, the documentary launched about a month ago, and I'm hoping it's going to be a product that hopefully inspires many millennials to take more actions within their communities as well. Uh, well, Victor and I were very grateful to be a part of one of the screenings, and it was just a really eye-opening for us as well to, to really um, think about our work on a daily basis and how the world is operating, you know, and how, how so, we're so connected, yet so removed from one another. It's, it's mm -hmm. crazy. Um, and that film really helped us understand, wow, you know, this is a huge planet with lots of needs, with people you never will ever meet before, and they're suffering. And yet they have so much hope, and what can we do about that? So it's really inspiring. I have to make sure that everybody gets a link to check it out <laughs> and follow you so you can go to, go to the next screening with Claudia. So Claudia, the next question I have for you is really talking about this, um, this huge movement that um, has been taking place over the last few years for sure around leadership but more so around conscious leadership, mindful, thoughtful leadership, uh, really helping people connect more to something greater than themselves when they lead on a daily basis. So do you have an antidote or a story or an experience that you can share around someone or perhaps one of your mentors that really showed you how conscious they really were as a leader, showed you extra love and compassion and empathy um, that really helped shift you and shape you into the human being that you are today? Mm -hmm. It is, it is a fantastic question, and I think it kind of loops back a bit to my experience in Nebraska I told you about while we were briefly talking today before the interview. So I was sharing with Molly, uh, just for the audience quickly, that, that part of what the documentary has, has brought about was an invite to receive a leadership award from the African Business Council in Nebraska. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because during the acceptance speech, I had a very 
intellectually out of body experience <laughs> because um, they tell you to prepare for you know these speeches to receive the award which I usually never never do because I always love to just speak right from the heart and kind of feel the audience out and see how the audience is and how the audience responds to me also but they asked me a specific question on how I what I think the importance of leadership is and I literally paused for 15 seconds. And you know, when you speak in front of an audience of like two to 300 people, 15 seconds is a very long time. And people start looking at you as like, is she going to say something? And I said, um, I would like by the show of hands and the stand of most of you in the room, if you identify better to the word to lead or to serve. And then it was about 30% to raise their hand for to lead, about 70% raised their hand to serve. And I said, thank you very much for this leadership award. I would like to accept the award. But in the understanding that everything I do with the intent of transformative and adaptive leadership goes down to the notion of serving. Not only serving myself and understanding what my own cultural competencies are and what my own abilities are that I can bring to the table, but always serve with the intent with everything I do and with everything I do at work. Maybe saying hello to the coffee woman in the morning who works in my building, to the janitor, to my manager, to my director, to anyone with the notion of serving to the mission and vision of my organization, but also back to the community. And the reason why I'm telling you this, Molly, is because um, it was actually one leader who has incredibly inspired me. And, you know, they always say is like when you start in a junior position is I was 26 when I started as a um, special assistant to the finance attache at the embassy of Austria, which for me coming from Austria to Washington, D.C. and to the United States was a huge deal. It's like first if you're in a new country, you're in a new city, and then you work for the embassy of your home country, which already gives you that notion of like you need to serve, but not only the host culture the embassy is based in, but also the culture of your origin culture, a passport culture as well, right? So you have this cross-cultural communication perspective. So, um, and I don't think I've mentioned that Molly, but my academic background is simultaneous interpretation in English, Spanish, and German and cross-cultural communication. So I was, besides doing a lot of like impact investment negotiations, I was also the private or chief interpreter is what they called it back then of the ambassador. So I went with the ambassador to many meetings in, the, in D.C. from White House, Department of State, meeting different secretaries and so forth. And at 25, 26, I was very humbling, humbly and frightened accepting, accepting all of these experiences, right? And just thought, oh, my gosh, I hope I'm not interpreting anything wrong from English and German. Um, in terms of, like, what was the experience I had, I would like to dive into one example. So one of my top-notch best professional experiences I had is the Austrian defense attache came to the embassy to negotiate back then with uh, the Pentagon and the Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta, one of our cybersecurity deals. So I was asked with the ambassador and the Secretary of Defense to go to the Pentagon, which from year 26 was a huge deal as well. Like, oh my gosh, I've never been to the Pentagon. <laughs> what is going to expect me there? So, you know, um, Secret Service picks you up from the embassy, they bring you to the Pentagon, they uh, bring you up to this conference room, thousand photographers there, protocol officers, assistants, your little cards are on the table, tell you where you're supposed to sit, 
uh, as an interpreter, you always sit leftwards of the minister and then the ambassador always sits rightwards, right? So back then we were negotiating a really, really important deal where first of all, it was the first bilateral meeting between Austria and the United States in 21 years. So it was one of those things, if we're not able to, uh, you know, accomplish in this 15, 20 minute, like quick meeting that we have, what we haven't accomplished in 21 years, it's not going to happen. So it's for me, it was huge responsibility, right? I was like, oh my God, if I'm interpreting anything wrong, like I will be out of a job. I can leave the United States. I can go back home to Australia, the farm I came from. And, um, the ambassador noticed that and we went through all of the terminology. We went like, okay, these are the contract negotiation types. This is what we want to get out of it. Like Claudia, be very specific on how you interpret it, but also interpret with your heart and with your body language as well. That was something that was incredibly important to the minister because he wanted to leave a good impression towards the United States. So we are at the Pentagon, the ambassador behind me in the escalator secret service in front of me. He just realized how nervous I was and he taught, he told and taught me one thing. He was like, everything you do when you go in there, Claudia, and he luckily said it in German. So no one from the U S could understand it. Um, everything you do when you go into this meeting right now, do it with the intent, not only to serve your country, but to serve yourself. So coming back to the question of, you know, you asking me how someone has treated me with compassion, it was such an incredible, compassionate moment for myself because I realized that I have a leader above of me who is my parachute. Mm -hmm. If I, and this is something I still do with my mentees up until, up until today where I'm in a leadership position right now, right? It's like someone needs to be a parachute and someone needs to understand that if this person, this Claudia, like seven years ago, eight years ago, is going to fall, someone is going to be there. You just need to give them the confidence to step up to the plate, the confidence to be able to perform, give them trust, and also give them the ability to understand that nothing that you're doing in business can ever be wrong. It's just a learning process. So I don't know, Molly, if that answered your question, but that story was just very transformative for me. I love that. I love the whole parachute imagery. I think that is uh, critical when we get to a place in our life when we can mentor other people. Is to mm. that, that our our role is to serve them that best mm. them, to support them and to protect them, right? So that they can make these mistakes and learn, yeah. and that you've got their back. I just think that's beautiful. So and if you don't, no, absolutely. And if you don't mind, Molly, I would like to just quickly add one thing onto that as well um so coming back to the omaha story right so um after after the award you know it's super nice people come up to you and they congratulate you and whatnot and then one student actually who was at the conference and at the leadership gala as well made an absolute terrific point he asked me he's like so what do you think is the most important mentorship um mentorship program or the best mentorship mentorship mentee program that you have ever attended or been part of yada 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 and as that i think it's two things peer-to-peer -peer mentorship is incredibly important but also let your mentee as a mentor mentor you 
And I have learned from so many of my mentees so much innovation and so much forward thinking and so much hunger and so much thirst and so much like intellectual openness that I have not from many of my mentors. So I thought that's okay because I have someone above me. I have someone who is on a peer level and also someone who I hopefully can help build up, but they build me up in the process as well. So I forgot to mention that that was my tie-in for the Nebraska story too. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Well, when you think of community champions and community builders and, um, you know, for the purpose of the series, change agents, right? Mm -hmm. community change agents. What are some of the characteristics or overarching themes that you've witnessed and experienced over time? What attributes are consistent that mm -hmm. um, truly um, these champions? Yeah. Um, so a lot of community builders I know, may it be... Um, folks, for example, who work with the Nelson Mandela Foundation in South Africa, to other community builders who are local community builders in DC, who do things um, like community cleanup in Georgetown, where you bring a community together and clean up the Potomac, but then also have certain panel discussions and um, certain conversations around sustainability and whatnot. They all have the same attribute of understanding that you need to involve everyone in the community. Right. So the council member who works for the local communities, uh, mayors or government's office is just as important as for you as a community builder to go to everyone in the community to knock at their doors and say, hey, what is it that you are actually needing? What is it that you actually want out of this event or out of us building a strong community of change agents or a strong community around a cause to achieve together. I think one thing that's really, really important. Um, the other thing is, and I've seen this for myself with global storytelling as well, because I it's part it's a community building organization too, right? But just with the impact of sharing knowledge from different angles with the community, but hoping the community learns the tricks and then goes into their own communities and creates that change, right? So so you need to give them somewhat of a roadmap and a guideline on what you think that some of these main pillar or main indicators of change would be. Let's take it as an example for global storytelling. You have an issue with capacity development in a local community in the United States, but someone in Kenya maybe is facing the same issue. How can you give them two or three main takeaways? Like, for example, go to your local government, apply for grants, go to find out how you're going to be able to get free medical supplies for these communities and whatnot. Give them main takeaways that helps them to not only need to reinvent the wheel, but where they can learn from you and you can learn from them. Um, so that's one thing that's really, really important, what I personally think is too. Um, the third thing is, is help. You as a change agent need to help, to, need to help this community to understand how they can um, implement change through thought leadership, but also through monetization of certain things, right? And that goes back to the grant, for example, too, or supporting some of the really small scale micro and macro entrepreneurs in these communities as well. Because if you do that, and if you support these entrepreneurs and help them by applying for grants from the government or help them to fundraise money from the local government, but even like from people within the communities or other communities, then you're gonna be able to create a sustainability roadmap that helps them to sustain themselves. But if you have more businesses within these communities, then their economic progress is going to scale up and then we're going to have this ripple effect, right? Ripple effect towards change, I love, I love to call it. Um, 
So that all together are some of the char characteristics from an implementation standpoint of view that I see in terms of game changers or community change agents. And I think from a personal or personality perspective, it's just showing a lot of empathy and having an open ear to what problems in the communities are. And I'm sure Molly, with SOAR Community Network, you realize, you realize that as well, is that sometimes we have this preset notion of what we think this change should look like in these specific communities, but it may, but it may not be what this community actually needs. So um, to give an example of Kenya, going into some of the slums in Kibra, I thought what they need is immediate monetary assistance. What some of these HIV and HIV infected women in these communities really needed was um, literacy training courses where they can learn how to write and read, right? So my perception coming in as someone who wants to help this community change themselves, but also wants to help them to be sustainable in this process, I had a very different perception of what I thought that they needed in reality from what they did need. So... Yeah, I hope I hope this answered your question. I can go on and on and on. I think that I think there are many more of these things, but yeah, um, the notion of empathy, just being able to listen, and also the notion of patience and understanding change is not going to be created from one day to another. It's going to be something that may take years, may take decades, um, is really important. And then also recruit community champions. I think I forgot to say this before, but that's something I'm doing with global storytelling as well is um, ask some within their communities to have someone else from, you know, from another pocket of their community to be their champion. So the message can be spread further and further and people can learn from one another, kind of like a ripple effect. Yeah. Well, you touched upon um, what you're currently doing with your gifts and your talents to elevate your cause, to elevate these beautiful missions that are important to your heart. Are there other causes that you care about that you'd like to give a shout out to or talk a little bit about so people who may not be aware that these initiatives, mm -hmm. movements, or causes exist can learn about it? I mean, first of all, I want to give a short shout out to Store Community Network because up until the point, until we, uh, until we met each other, I actually, no, I actually did not know that it existed and had some such a fantastic impact right so um for you to for you and i to meet was was that there was a reason behind it there was an intent behind it so i just want to like notice uh, i want to congratulate you on your work but i also want to acknowledge and notice that store community network is something i think it can be cleared pushed up to a global scale and help other people in other countries as well um, so one, organizations I, one organization I personally support is called Global Citizen. Um, Global Citizen is an organization that is, was founded by two Australian guys in New York City. And you may have heard about the Global Citizen festivals that always take place in different countries. Like they just had one for Nelson Mandela in South Africa. They've just had one in India. They always have a festival in Central Park that takes place um, in September around the United Nations General Assembly. But basically it's a very, very um, simple concept with incredible buy-in from celebrities and stars and incredible impact. And the concept is just bringing stars together to play a concert in the city of their choice. And they started off with New York, People can only attend the concert if they actually, uh, if they have actually taken actions in their communities. And if they track those actions through a pledge on the global 
Global Citizen app. So you can hear Beyonce, you can hear Drake, you can hear Kanye West all for free if you have just within the 1,000 to 1,500 points taken action within the community. And I know the two founders from Global Citizen who are also personal friends of mine, so I'm not saying this because <laughs> I know them personally, but I'm saying it because it comes to show that an idea, and maybe that's something inspiring for some of the people of you who listen to this uh, interview here as well, an idea that small that started 10 years ago can actually have an effect and can have such a ripple effect and actually evoke people to take change without to create change within their communities as well, if you just give them something back in return, right? And in that case, it's just a festival with stars. I also support in Washington, D.C., Martha's Table. Um, and I, as Molly knows, I'm a big yogi and yogi fan. So, um, and I'm a yoga teacher myself as well. So one way I support Martha's Table is not only by bringing foods and canned goods to Martha's Table and clothing, but also if you have a skill, please, you listener, <laughs> use it. But also offering um, like one yoga class every two months for free to anyone at Martha t Martha's Table who would want to come from those underserved communities. So I love and support Martha's Table because I think it's beautiful that anyone can just help and support in any way that they can. Even though it's a, you know, it's a soup kitchen or it's a food bank and it's called Martha's Table, there are other opportunities that you can do there as well. So that's what I'm doing on a local, what organizations support on a local level and a global level as well. That's fantastic, great. Well, we're coming to the close, excuse me, of our interview. The next one that I would like for you to focus on is, um, a motto or a philosophy or a quote that helps you come back to center when things get tough, get rough, when you've been pounded on, when you've been beaten up, how do you um, move forward and what are for possibly the, the words of wisdom that help you again come back, ground you and help you move forward? Okay, so I think that comes out of the yoga philosophy and it's a Sanskrit word which, call, which is called sasteya, and it's one of the um, niyamas, so one of the five limbs of yoga, so to speak. And it's about how do I create the best version of myself to be the best version on the mat. And the same way I do this in yoga, I do it in my work as well. But what, what, what the word basically means, it means non-stealing. And this is what really keeps me centered because it's not about non-stealing in terms of you go to a grocery store and steal something, but it's about non-stealing of the time to yourself and the time you give to others. So whenever the going gets tough and whenever we are overwhelmed, which all of us are in our, in our lives, it's absolutely normal. I think, about the, I think back about the non-stealing part, take a deep breath and just understand, am I right now, if I'm rushing into something, am I stealing someone's time patience and attention but also my own or may i just take two or three deep cleansing breaths and actually meet that person on the eye level both spiritually and intellectually that i'm supposed to meet them at so that's just my motto it's not really a quote i guess it's just my motto that helps me to um tackle every day for the way it comes because my life or my meetings are very unpredictable. You never know what you kind of run into and you pick up on energies of people as well. Right. And particularly when you work in the doing good for 
by doing business kind of space, it is important that you always show up as your best authentic self, but not only because of you, but because you have a responsibility to cater to those who are in developing countries and to bring this money in so they can be best supported, right? So that's just something that always keeps me also in terms of uh, namaste, always very centered. And yeah, just also gives me somewhat of a laser focus. Last but not least, the question of the century is what does a better world look like through your eyes? Oh my God, a better world would be a world without any wars, a world without any peace, and coming back to the global connective tissue and the cross-cultural communication, a world where governments, public sector, private sector, and also change agent to a certain perspective actually speak the same language. And if I say speak the same language, I don't mean that we, you know, grammatically and language-wise speak the same language, but the same language of change and the ability that we can all learn from one another. And in my daytime job, I deal a lot with different finance ministers and governors from developed and developing countries. And one of the biggest bottlenecks I see is that we just have a different cultural understanding of change from one country to another. So for me, in order to be able to implement sustainable change, we need to be able to get on, to get on the same page. And that starts with what I said before, no war and more peace. It's going to be a process and it's going to take time. But I think the more peaceful we get within our mindset and the adoption and the adjustment of how we perceive change and social impact, the more other leaders in different countries or other change agents in different countries or community builders in different countries will do that too. And we can just open up a better uh, and fresher dialogue around change. That's great. Well, Ms. Claudia, thank you so much for your friendship and for the incredible work that you're doing. We really appreciate it. Um, you have a full plate, full-time job, full-time CEO, storyteller, filmmaker, uh, you know, award-winning leader, leader. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful things that you're doing. It's inspiring. Let us know how we can refuel you, support you, provide you with uh, the resources that you need to create the change. Um, that you're doing or creating or contributing to in the world. Thank you again for being a part of the Store Community Network. Appreciate Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. And I'm looking forward to a continuous relationship and partnership with Store Community Network. Fantastic. For those that are watching, thank you so very much for following us as we, again, um, have this incredible goal, <laughs> extraordinary goal of uh, bringing you stories from a thousand change agents this year. Please, if you know anybody who uh, really could shine a light onto our audience, nominate them, nominate yourself, and visit us at uh, nebula.soarcommunitynetwork.com. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you very soon, everyone. Bye.